Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Hey, if I have not met you, my name is Mike, one of the pastors here at Mercy Road, and it's my privilege to start this new sermon series. We came out of the book of Jonah, and then how about those baptisms last week? That was amazing. Yeah. Hey guys. Pretty powerful to see lives changed. Uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 17, and this is one of my favorite passages in the book of Acts. Let me read from the NIV to you. We're going to start at verse 16. Paul is on his missionary journeys, sharing Christ with people, and now he finds himself in Athens, the intellectual capital of the ancient world. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. And we're going to stop there, just like a Netflix episode, leave a little cliffhanger for you. Pastor Chad will pick it up and uh, go through what Paul actually says next week. This scripture is fascinating because it, it relates so much to our culture and our modern day. We are starting a sermon series called Honest Evangelism. Honest Evangelism. If you're new to church, you didn't grow up in church, evangelism is just a fancy word for sharing our faith. It, it's sharing Jesus with other people. Being real about what matters most to us. Going public. Personal thing, but it's not meant to be a private thing. Oh, that's okay. We're having some tech issues. We'll switch to the handheld. We just got a new soundboard. Why don't you guys give the tech booth a hand because they're working hard to figure that out. We love you guys and appreciate everything you do. So in this new sermon series, Honest Evangelism, we're trying to figure out how do you share your faith in a, in a way that is intellectually honest, that is humble, not condemning. I think if, if we're really honest, a lot of us just don't share our faith. We'll, we'll talk about the sports teams that we like, the places we've traveled, our opinion on the coronavirus or politics. We'll talk about almost anything except for our faith. And so in this series, we're going to consider what would it take for us to be men and women who share our faith winsomely, effectively, often, naturally. And we're looking to this scripture and uh, Paul's journey. Here's the main thesis of today's message. We will not share our faith effectively unless we see what Paul saw and feel what Paul felt in the scripture that I just read to you. We, we just won't. 
you won't, Christian, share your faith unless you see what he, he saw and feel at a very deep level what he felt. And we'll go through those two. Uh, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. What did Paul He saw a city full of idols. If you were to Google image a picture of ancient Athens, you could see the literal idols that would have been prominent. Some of them are still there today, carved in stone. There were gods for everything. If you're a plumber, there's a god for you. I mean, you had Aphrodite, the goddess of love and beauty. And then the Roman counterpart to Aphrodite was Venus. And you had Apollo, god of the sun and arts and medicine. Ares, the god of war, later named Mars. Mars Hill is what some of your translations mentioned at the Areopagus. And it's talking about the hill of Ares in the original language. There was Poseidon, the god of the sea, and Hera, the queen of the gods, and Hades, the king of the underworld, and Bacchus, the god of wine and revelry and fraternities. There was just gods for everything. Do you catch the fraternity thing? That was a joke. You can laugh. It's, it's okay. Um, there, were, there were gods, and here's what we do. We tend to impose our modern lens on this text and say, oh, how primitive. They, they just believed in these fake little gods. Like, we're so beyond that. Are we? He saw that the world was full of idols, and, and if you want to be faithful to the Great Commission, the call to share your faith with people in your life that God puts intentionally in your life, you need to see, too, the world is full of idols. There's two Greek words primarily for see. One is blepo. It's like I'm blepoing you. I see blepo, Chad. I see him. Theoreo is another one, and that's where we get the English word theory, theorize. That's used less often because it's more like study. Like, I'm really kind of eyeing you and just trying to see what makes you tick. That's the word that is used in verse 16 to say, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to theoreo that the city was full of idols. To see. Why the Greek lesson? Because he, he's inviting us to do something that sometimes we don't do. Namely, Paul is inviting us to notice, to study, to observe, to theorize, to see the code that goes underneath the behavior of the people around us and that goes in and out and underneath of our own behavior. He's, he's distressed to notice that the world functions and runs on idolatry. What, it, what is idolatry? What is an idol? Idols are good things that we make ultimate things. A lot of times you think of an idol as just purely a bad thing. Sure, like drugs are an idol yeah, that would be an idol too, and that's not good. Drugs aren't good. But, but the most powerful idols really aren't the bad ones. They're the good ones. So, so think about it. If, if it would absolutely devastate me, if it was taken away from me, that's my idol. I mean, you know, if you lose a, a loved one, like, you'll feel sad, and that's normal, and that's appropriate in the grieving process. But if it completely crushes you to the point where you can't, ever envision functioning again, that that person has become an idol. If you, if you lose your job, you should feel sad about that and, and anxious and all, all the emotions that normally go with being fired or laid off or losing your job or being in an insecure financial position. But if it crushes you because if I'm not that, I'm nobody, 
that would be an idol. Money can be an idol. Success, beauty, sex, family, fame, power, security, freedom can be an idol. Justice, acceptance, competence, patriotism can be an idol. Pleasure can be an idol. Even knowledge itself can be an idol. When I came off active duty military, I, I went through a, a phase where I, I, I missed putting on the uni uniform. I missed it too much. I missed the security of that identity. And I realized that, you know what? I think I had made my identity as a captain in the U.S. Army an idol because this isn't normal loss. This is way more painful than that. Friends, whether you're a believer in Jesus or not, do you see that the world runs on idols? Have you noticed it? Do you see it in yourself? If you want to understand somebody who's angry, angry with you, angry with a loved one, angry at society or whatever, all you have to do to understand why they're so angry is look for the idol underneath the anger. Because when idols get taken away, when idols are even threatened, we get angry. And you can read about that later in the book of Acts when Paul is so effective in preaching the good news that all these people are turning away from idols, it wrecks the economy of certain trades and they start a whole riot and like burn down half the city because idols are what we functionally worship, run on, rely on, rest in. Augustine, early father of the church, St. Augustine said this, the human heart is restless until it comes to find its rest in God alone. He went on to describe that the main problem with the world, the wars and the famines and the suffering and all the complex sin nature of the world can be boiled down to disordered loves. We were designed to love things, but the order in which we love things is super important. And the human heart, first and foremost, needs to be in love with the God that created us. And when anything goes in the God spot, even a good thing, even a child, even a spouse, a noble career, a social cause, anything in that God spot, things begin to fall apart. And Paul sees that. I do a lot of premarital counseling, so does Pastor Chad, and we've compared notes and noticed that in recent years, maybe the last 10 years, it seems to be the case that more and more couples are putting unrealistic expectations on one another. I mean, you all want a good spouse. We, we all do, right? And we want to be treated well in a marriage, and that makes sense. But we're oftentimes crushing each other under the weight of our expectations and we're being crushed under the weight of our partner's imperfections. Isn't that true if you're married? Where does that come from? That comes from a slow drift in culture that has made the romantic relationship something that we used to find in our relationship with God. We don't just want romance. We don't just want to be understood. We don't just want to have companionship and raise a family together. We don't just want... Uh, sexual attraction. We want redemption. We want something that only God can give us, and it crushes one another because it's idolatry, and idolatry always crushes the human soul. 
We won't share our faith effectively unless we see what Paul saw. Do you see the idols, friends? Some of you, let's just get personal, because unless you see the idols in yourself, you're not going to be very effective at sharing your faith with other people because you'll just be a walking, hypocritical example that, that just will look crazy to other people. And we all have our hypocrisies, but, but it, if you can't identify the primary functional idols that you're battling, it's going to be tough to share your faith. So some of you, you have the idol of order. If you can't control it, if you can't improve your environment, you're devastated. You're not just disappointed. Like, you can't function because you have made order and organization and routine and good predictability. Those are all good things. You've made them little gods, and you've started to worship at their altar. And some of us, it's the idol of acceptance. If people don't love me and need me and remind me of that often, I can't function. I'm crushed. That's, that's what some of us will say. And some of us, it's the idol of success. If I don't distinguish myself as a winner, if I am not elite, if I don't have enough medals, enough promotions, a bigger paycheck, not even for the money, just for the prestige, then I'm nothing. Because I'm addicted to the idol of success. How about the idol of beauty? If people don't see me as uniquely attractive, if, if they don't adore me as better to look at, something to really celebrate, always on the cutting edge of what's fashionable, what's insightful, what's unique and lovely, then I just don't want to go to the party. And some of you, you're fighting this because guess what? Age wins every time against beauty. <laughs> I mean, we've spent billions of dollars trying to slow that train down. It's not slowing down. And for others, it's competence. You don't need to be beautiful. You just need to anticipate and solve every problem that could happen. And if that starts to go, you freak out. Because I have always been known as a fixer and a solution bringer. And if, if I can't be that... I don't even want to go to the party. Am I, am I meddling now officially? Not preaching, meddling? I'm sorry. This, I'm preaching to me too. How about this one? Anybody relate to the idol of security? I do. I've seen a lot of death and carnage. I'd love to bubble wrap my kids. I'm worried about them getting hurt. We're putting in a conquer ninja gym here for kids. In a few months, I had to work that out with the insurance. But, but, but let me tell you, that'll bring out those who have the idol of security because you're going to follow your kid up every obstacle and be like, don't touch that, don't, oh, careful, careful, oh, that nine-inch mat won't catch him. What if, what, if, what if she hurts her toe? The idol of security, if I'm not safe, I'm not just anxious, that's normal behavior in the human brain, I'm devastated because I've worshipped at the idol of physical safety. And boy, don't we see a collision between the idol of freedom right now and the idol of security. You've got your freedom, folks, and this is what your idol looks like. If somebody tells me what to do, I'm going to not do it or do the exact opposite because nobody tells me what to do. Nobody restricts my freedom. 
at any cost, I will maintain my liberty, because liberty is the altar that I worship. And I sometimes lean towards that, so we can join a support group later. But then you've got the security folks, and they're usually married to each other, right? And the security folks are like, just follow the rules so no one gets hurt. Stop with the liberty talk and use some hand sanitizer right now. Right? Now I'm causing some couples to need marriage counseling. Hey, we won't share our faith effectively unless we see what Paul saw. Do you see it? Do you see it in yourself? Do you see it in the people sitting around you? Do you see it in the large groups that you're a part of? Churches can have functional idols. Families can have functional idols. It's a good thing that I've turned into an ultimate thing and I've worshipped over time. And if you take that away from me, you are not going to want to deal with me because that's mine and that's what I rest in and that's what's functionally giving me a sense of identity and peace and meaning. That's an idol. Paul learned to see idols, but that's just the first part. The second, the last part is this. We won't share our faith effectively unless we feel what Paul felt. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Greatly distressed, another wonderful word study opportunity. Greatly distressed is a super interesting word. Its Hebrew equivalent is most often used in the Old Testament to describe how God feels when God's people walked away from God and committed idolatry. It's a weird mixture of like holy jealousy. Now, jealousy's kind of got a bad rap because when humans do the jealousy thing, not a, not a good look. It's usually very self-centered, self-focused, and sinful. But when God is jealous, God is pure love and truth at the same time. And when God is jealous, it gives us a picture of, of what we are supposed to feel in certain circumstances. God's jealousy is much closer to a spouse who... It feels devastated when the other spouse is unfaithful. And it's, it's just a really interesting term that, that the writer Luke, who wrote Luke, the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, uses. Greatly distressed means you're hurt by what they're doing and you're hurt for them at the same time. I'm so hurt that they're worshiping all these idols because I see that they were made for more. And I see that the collateral damage of worshiping idols is devastating. And that's where all this suffering comes from. But I'm, I'm also rightly outraged that they're doing it because there is a God, one God, and they're making little false gods. And it's not right. Let me put it this way. If you don't feel any indignation at a world that's full of idols, you won't have the courage to share your faith. If you don't look around at people worshiping sports, worshiping their career, worshiping their romantic partner, worshiping pleasure, worshiping freedom, worshiping physical safety, and you don't feel any indignation, like it's not right. There is a good God, and every good thing came from him, and he's first, and, and his name should be lifted high not made a curse word. If you don't feel any indignation, you won't have the jet fuel to get out of your Midwestern comfort zone and share the one thing that matters most in your life. And you'll talk about everything else endlessly. 
to your girlfriend, to your boyfriend, to your husband, to your wife, to your coworkers, to your kids, to your dad, to your mom, to the stranger, to the guy you hired to do your drywall, to whoever it is, you'll talk to them about whatever. But you'll stop short of saying, hey, do you have a faith? Hey, do you, do you attend a church or are you religious or not? Or do you, what's your experience with uh, Christianity? You'll never ask that question. And questions, by the way, are the best way to start a conversation about faith. Sometimes I, I grieve when I think of all of the opportunities that I've missed that I don't know about. The times when I've been so focused on whatever I'm doing. I was just at Lowe's yesterday, home improvement, and I'd been to, give me some grace on this one, I'd, I'd been to like three home improvement stores. Have you had one of those days where it's like, oh, they don't make the tile in that shape and size, so drive there, and oh, that, just kidding, nope, and drive here. So it was one of those days. So I'm literally wearing a t-shirt that says, y'all need Jesus. Yeah, because I, I'm, so that, you know, I mean, I'm not covert here. And, but I am in the worst mood. I'm just in the worst mood, you know, because I've just been sanding drywall and doing all this crazy stuff, and I'm buying tile, and it's taken like three hours, and it should have taken like 30 minutes, and just stomping around, and, well, I come to church, and a gentleman at the first service comes up to me and says, were you at Lowe's yesterday? In Shakopee? Yeah, I thought that was you. And he didn't say anything, but I, I bet he was thinking like, I didn't know if it was you because you were just kind of moving around and, you know, I didn't do anything crazy, but, you know, I, I wasn't the ambassador of Christ in physical body language. I was just kind of stomping around, couldn't find somebody to help me. And I think about that sometimes, and you should think about that sometimes, not to feel like shameful or overly guilty and develop a mental condition over that, but just, just to be convicted and, and, and to have your eyes open going forward, because wherever we are, we're ambassadors for Jesus Christ in and, and word and deed and body language and tone, all of that. And I just think of all the times I didn't ask a question, because there are times where I do ask the question. And there are times where you ask the question, hey, what's your experience with church, Ben? Or do you have any thoughts on, on faith? And sometimes when we ask that question, people open up, and it's like God has been working on their hearts for years to lead them to that moment where the right person would ask the right question at the right time. And they just needed to process that. And then they all of a sudden admit that they're an agnostic. That means I don't really know if there's a God. But I used to be an atheist. That means I was pretty sure there wasn't, but now I'm an agnostic. And I guess, and now I'm moving towards wondering because I had this moment and it almost felt like God was trying to show me something. What do you think about that? And then you give them a psalm and then they read the psalm and then they go, but what about this? Christians are hypocrites and the sex scandal in the church. And okay, and then you talk about that. And well, you know, that's, that's because we all need grace and we're broken by sin. And yeah, but what about the fundamentalists? They're, they're so intense, and they're just over the top with everything. And then you get to say, well, actually, they're not intense enough because if they're coming across condemning and hateful, they're not Christian enough because Jesus died on a cross for all of us. And that's the model. And you, have, you get to have these conversations or lead them to the right person who has a conversation, and their lives are changed, and they spend eternity with God. And there's nothing more significant that you literally will ever do in life. You can be Jeff Bezos, you can, uh, you know, 
be the guy who invented a new NASA, what's his name? Elon Musk, you know, it's just, it doesn't even compare. All that work is dignified and great, but like to lead someone to the God of the universe and his forgiving love, there's nothing better. There's nothing higher. There's nothing that'll make you feel more significant. And yet it's something we spend very little time thinking about. If you don't feel any indignation at the world of idols, you won't have the courage to share your faith, but if you don't have compassion for people caught in idolatry, you won't have the gentleness to share your faith. How many of us have been on the wrong business end of an irate Christian who really understood the ministry of truth but really didn't understand the ministry of tears? Jesus is full of grace and he's full of truth. He's called to be both. He is both, and he calls us to grow into men and women who are full of both. We tell the truth. We speak God's word, but we do it out of a posture of heartbrokenness for people who are literally suffering from the effects of worshiping idols. If you don't have compassion for people caught in idolatry, you're just going to care about being right. Evangelism will be imperialism. It'll be a notch-on-your-belt mentality. It won't be, as Dwight Moody once said, I'm just one hungry beggar telling another hungry beggar where to find bread. So, there's all these idols, and they're false gods. They're less than God, and they're oftentimes very good things that you should enjoy and hold up high in your life, but not that high. Are you the person yet that has learned how to see them? If not, why don't you keep an eye out this week? What are the functional idols underneath your friends and family? And not in a judgmental way, but just to understand where the pain points are understand why they do what they do? And are you the type of person that doesn't just learn to see like Paul sees, to notice like he notices, but to feel empathically like he feels? If you're not, if your ministry is all about truth and not about tears entering into pain with people, might you just consider praying, God, would you soften my heart? Because I don't want to be the the know-it-all. I want to be the learn-it-all. I want to be the... I don't want to be the jerk. I want to be the messenger of God's grace to a broken world. Friends, I'm excited for week two of this series next week. Pastor Chad's going to take us into Paul's response, which is brilliant and just loaded with application for how we should actually talk to people when we're given the opportunity. Notice that He's not given a great ramp. They said, what is this babbler trying to tell us, right? The Greek word there is amateur. What is this amateur of ideas trying to tell us? But he was effective enough that he got an audience with a group of people that did nothing but consider truth claims all day. And so we'll learn next week how to winsomely engage. But today has been about learning how to see those idols and to feel how Paul felt. Speaking of feeling, I want to close today reminding us all how God feels about each and every one of us. He loves you. Do you know that? 
Some, some preachers are guilty of repeating, you know, you just listen to their sermons and it's like, ah, I've heard that before. You're going to hear this a lot if you're here. God really loves you. He doesn't just love you, he likes you. He died for you. There's no higher compliment. When he looks at you, no matter what sin you're stuck in, no matter how depressed you feel or inadequate you feel, he literally sees the perfection of the life that Christ lived and the justice that was paid for through the death of Jesus Christ. He sees you as spotless and perfect and holy, even though you are not yet literally spotless and perfect and holy. And he, his love is so relentless, he won't stop chasing after you with that love until you become that which he sees in you. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for today. Thank you for this call to participate with you in evangelism and sharing our faith. Help us to do it honestly. We often do lack the compassion or the courage to do that. Forgive us for that, Lord. We do know that faith in, in you is personal, but it is not meant to be private. Help us to go public. Help us to do it seeing what you see, feeling what you feel for other people in Jesus' name. Amen.